I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in the book of Malachi. Some of you I just lost. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, so if you're having trouble getting there, you can always use the table of contents. You can also just go to the New Testament and hang a left, and you'll find your way into the book of Malachi. We're going to start this Sunday a six-week series through the book of Malachi. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books, and I hope that as we walk through it together that you will enjoy it as much as I do, that you will be challenged by it as much as I have been challenged by it. And as we begin this journey through the book of Malachi, I have a question for you. Does God love you? Does God love you? Say, well, I'm at church, so I hope so, Pastor. You know, it's interesting the response that people give, maybe not verbally out loud, but when that question is asked in your heart, you had an immediate response. Now for some, likely many who grew up in church, your natural response is the church answer, right? Of course God loves me. Some may even have the mindset that, I mean, what's not to love about me? Of course God loves me. I mean, your mantra is, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Of course God likes me. Of course God loves me. Some, though, may have had the opposite response. Some, when that question is asked immediately inside, they cringe a bit. And they think, huh, what happened last week? Or maybe they cringe a bit inside because their mindset of who God is is wrapped up in Maybe a father figure who was absent or abusive. And when you think about God's love, you have a hard time getting to the point of saying, yes, God loves me because you didn't experience the kind of love that a godly father should demonstrate. Some, let's just be honest, when you're asked that question, does God love you, it very well could be just a sense of ambivalence. I don't really care. Not really that worried about it. And yet as we dive into the book of Malachi, what we're going to see is Malachi unpack for God's people, God's enduring love for them, which should lead them to worship Him with every ounce of their being. So as we read verses one through five of Malachi chapter one this morning, what we're gonna see is a little bit of a game take place. In fact, we're gonna see God's statement to his people 
that he loves them. And we're going to see a question follow that. And we're going to encounter these as we walk through the book of Malachi every single week. God make a statement through his prophet. The people question whether or not that statement is actually true. And then God give them evidence for why it's true. So as we walk through the text this morning, I want you to pay attention to that. Beginning in verse one, Malachi chapter one. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. We're taking notes this morning. I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And it's this truth. When we understand God's love for us, When we understand God's love for us, we are compelled to worship Him. When we understand God's love for us, we are compelled to worship Him. Did you notice the Lord's statement in verse 2? Through the prophet Malachi, the Lord says, I have loved you. That's the word of the Lord to his people. Now let's get some context of what's going on in the nation of Israel's life at this point. So we are in the last book of the Old Testament. We are about to experience 400 years of silence from the Lord. No prophet has arisen over 400 years until we see John the Baptist come on the scene preparing the way of the Lord. So this is the last word from the Lord to his people before that. You got to know what's happened in Israel's life up until this point. You see, they were a thriving kingdom. The Lord had blessed the nation of Israel, his people. He had chosen them, he had set them apart. He had elevated them in a position within the world that demonstrated his blessing on them as his people. But interestingly, his people turned away from him. 
In fact, they worshiped false idols. They threw worship of God to the curb and said, no, we, we want it our way. We want to do it our way. We're not going to follow what you've told us to do. We're going to follow our own path. We're going to chart our own course. Your rules and regulations and the way we should worship you, is it, it's just outdated a bit, so we've got a better way. And so they just pile on false worship of any number of gods of the nations around them. And the Lord, in witnessing that, makes a decision on their behalf. He says, what you need is discipline. And the discipline that the Lord leads them into is for Babylon to come in and to take over the nation of Israel to carry them off into captivity so that they no longer have the freedom to worship as they once did. No longer do they have a temple to worship in because it has been ransacked. No longer do they have the opportunity to do as God had given them privilege to do. All of a sudden, they are now held captive in this foreign land. But we saw through the Old Testament prophets a reminder to his people, if you will turn back to me, if you will turn back, I will once again establish you, I will once again bless you as a people. And what we find out is that there is always a remnant of God's people who have not turned their backs on him. And it's this remnant that journeys back to the homeland. Through several of the prophets, one being Nehemiah, they rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. They begin to rebuild the temple as well. And they are following the Lord at this point as Malachi is speaking, as he is giving them a word from the Lord. It's not like they were worshiping false gods anymore. In fact, they were worshiping the one true God. But here's where the problem came in. Their heart wasn't in it. You ever been there? You ever showed up at church on Sunday morning and we sing and you think, I just don't feel it. Maybe the past week or maybe weeks on top of weeks have piled on and you just sit there and go, I, I, just, I, I just don't have it. I mean, people are singing, they're raising their hands, they're clapping. I should have stayed home. In fact, God's people here kind of have that mindset. In fact, they are looking around and they're saying, God, we've done everything you've asked us to do. We have turned from following the false gods. We are worshiping you as the one true God. We are doing exactly what you've called us to do, but you've not held up your end of the bargain. They are looking and longing for a Messiah to come. We know it's going to be 400 more years until he comes. And they're looking exhausted saying, God, where are you? Why haven't you done what we thought you were going to do by now? I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but God often works on his own timetable, not ours. 
And they're looking and saying, is it worth it? Is it worth continuing to follow the Lord with all of our hearts? And they had come to the conclusion that we'll keep doing the action, but our heart won't be in it. We'll keep showing up at church, but our heart will be far from the Lord. So as we see in Malachi's word from the Lord, verse two, the Lord reminds his people, I have loved you. You see the question that followed? Malachi speaking on behalf of the people says, here's the question, Lord, how have you loved us? You see, it's one thing to say that you love someone. It's a totally opposite thing to actually do something because of your love for someone. Think about this. You can say to your spouse, I love you, but if your actions don't demonstrate that, do you really love that spouse? You can say to your kids, kids, I love you, but if your actions don't match that, do you really love them? And that's the question that God's people are asking of him. God, you've said you love us, but we don't see the evidence of that. We are still waiting on the Savior to come. We're still waiting on your promises to be fulfilled. We are still waiting for you to do what you said you were going to do. And it doesn't seem like you're going to do it. Therefore, do you really love us? It's a bold question. I want you to notice through the prophet Malachi, God's response to his people. He says, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. You look at that and you think, who is he talking about? In fact, you've got to go all the way back to the book of Genesis to find out exactly what the Lord is talking about here. But for his people, they would have understood readily exactly what he is saying. And what he's saying is this first truth that I want you to write down so that God's love for us is unconditional. God's love for us is unconditional. You see, he says here, it's not Esau, Jacob's brother. I've loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. You go back to Genesis beginning in chapter nine and God sets apart a man by the name of Abram. Later calls him Abraham and he says about this man that he is going to bless him, that he is going to cause his face to shine upon him, that his descendants are going to be numerous on the earth, that God has chosen him and set him apart. And we move from Abraham down his line and we get to a man by the name of Jacob. 
Jacob is a twin. And what's interesting is Jacob wasn't the firstborn, which would have been the one that should have gotten everything, the one who should have been picked. If you're a firstborn like I am, this story should make you mad. But for the Lord, what we see is that he, the scripture says, loved Jacob, but hated Esau. This is not an emotional love type situation that we're talking about. What the Lord is saying here is, I chose Jacob so that my plan and purpose to bring salvation to the world would flow through Jacob's lineage. And I didn't choose Esau and his lineage. And you look at that and you wonder, hmm, does that mean then that God chooses people to love and chooses people not to love? Kind of feel a little iffy about that, huh? And yet what we see as we walk through the scriptures is that on display. Now we know for certain that God loves the world. John 3.16 reminds us so much so that he sent his son Jesus to this earth to lay his life down so that we could be saved from our sins. But hear me this morning. God's love for his people, his children, is different than God's love for humanity in totality. God's love for his people is particular and specific. And what we see is it demonstrated here with Jacob and Esau. He says about Jacob, I've loved him. I've chosen him. I've picked him. But Esau, I've not. And he says, as a result of that, I laid waste his hill country, that's Esau's land and his descendants' land. I left his heritage to jackals of the desert. He says, even if they say we are shattered but will rebuild, the Lord says, not gonna happen. I want you to think about that in relation to you this morning. Have you taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you received the free gift of salvation that has been offered to you on the basis of what Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for your sins? On the basis of his resurrection securing salvation for you? Have you received that gift? If you've received that gift, then you are loved by God unconditionally. Write that down in your Bible. God loves me unconditionally. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on how many times you read the Bible and your Bible reading plan this year. Hello. It's not on the basis of how good you've been the week before. It's not on the basis of you doing good things. It's not that at all. It's on the basis of what Christ has done for you. 
God loves you as his child unconditionally, not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but because his son laid his life down for you. So when he sees you, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that is incredibly freeing in the life of a believer. We've talked about this before, that we live in a performance-based culture. If you want something, you work to earn it, and that is good. The problem is when we import that into our understanding of our relationship with Jesus Christ, when we think that we can earn God's love, let me break it down for you. You can't earn God's love. You can't do enough good things. You can't read your Bible enough or pray enough for God to love you any more than he already does because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. If nothing else, if you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, isn't what I just said enough to want it? To know that God loves you unconditionally. To know that because of what Christ has made available to you, if you receive the free gift of salvation today, you can experience the unconditional love of the Lord forever. Not only is God's love for us unconditional, once you notice the second truth, God's love for us is not represented by our circumstances. This is important. In fact, this is the crux, I think, of where most people struggle, even as believers, in their walk with the Lord. We oftentimes evaluate someone's love for us by the circumstances we find ourselves in. And that often happens in our relationship with the Lord as well. We think God loves us because life is going well for us. And then the reverse of that is true. Life is going badly for us, therefore God must not love us. That's where the people of Israel struggled here. They're looking at their circumstances. They're looking and saying, God, you've not finished what you said you were going to finish. And by our watch, it should have been done already. Therefore, you must not love us. You may have had that thought in your life as a believer as well. Medical diagnosis, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, Circumstances that pile up and your question may come to, God, do you really love me? And I want you to know this morning that God's love for you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, is not represented by the circumstances you find yourself in. Let's be all honest with each other. Sometimes life stinks 
It does. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and we experience something in the course of our day that radically alters the life circumstances we find ourselves in. And oftentimes we look and we wonder in the midst of that, does God still love me? The people of Israel wondered that. God, do you still love us? And here's the truth, if God's love for us is unconditional, then wouldn't it make sense that God's love for us doesn't change on the basis of our circumstances? That God is not mad with us and say, hey, I think I'll throw this cancer diagnosis at him and see how that goes. But sometimes we feel that way. And then as we look, we begin to think that only when things are good, only when things are going well, does God love me. When things are not going well, when things are not going good, God doesn't love me. And I want you to know that your circumstances are not representative of God's love for you. That God loves you regardless of the circumstances that you find yourself in right now. Now let's all be honest with each other. Sometimes those circumstances are representative of sin in our life. Amen or ouch. Sometimes we are bearing the fruit of decisions that we've made that have gone against God's word. And we are reaping the harvest that we have sown. Sometimes we are walking through circumstances that are not of our own making, but are simply the result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where cancer exists, where COVID-19 exists, where diabetes exists, where death exists. It is a broken and shattered world that we know God will one day redeem but right now it's broken. And sometimes our circumstances are because of that. But hear me this morning, God's love doesn't change. God loves you unconditionally despite the circumstances you find yourself in. I want you to notice the third truth. God's love for us is never ending. Notice verse five. Malachi says, your eyes shall see this. Israel, I know that you're experiencing difficult circumstances, but you're gonna see it. You are going to see God's love on display. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. When we realize, when we understand God's love for us, when we begin to scratch the surface and comprehend God's love for us as His people, the only 
natural response is to worship him. The only natural response is to say, like they will say, great is the Lord. So my question for us this morning, do we believe that God loves us? Christian, do you believe that God loves you unconditionally? Do you believe, regardless of the circumstances you may find yourself in right now, that God loves you? Do you believe that His love for you will never end? And if you do, shouldn't your life be lived as an act of worship to Him? Isn't he deserving? Isn't he worthy? As we look, what we see for Israel at this point is they're struggling to understand God's love. What we as his church have seen is that God always keeps his promises. That 400 years from this time of Malachi, the Savior would come. God would demonstrate his love for us and his son laying his life down for us. We have the privilege of looking back on that, of seeing it. And for us as believers, that should elicit praise to him. That should elicit worship to him. Not just worship when we come to church, but worship with every second of our lives. I don't know if you know this or not, but you can worship the Lord cutting grass. You can worship the Lord at work. You can worship the Lord in your neighborhood. You can worship the Lord when you go for a walk. You can worship the Lord when you cook in the kitchen. You can worship the Lord when you put your kids to bed. And for us as believers, when we understand God's love for us, it will compel us to worship Him with every ounce of our being. I want to ask you if you'd bow your heads with me and close your eyes. And our worship team will make their way back up this morning. We'll have an opportunity to respond to the Lord with heads bowed and eyes closed, you may have come in this morning and for the very first time, you have come to the realization that you need to experience the unconditional love that only God can give. And you've heard in the sermon this morning that that is totally on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And you have an opportunity this morning to take the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
I can't think of a better time than the first Sunday of 2021 to take that step. As you sit right there, if you know that you need to take that step, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me. There's nothing magical about the formula of this prayer. What matters is that it expresses the true desire of your heart for Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. If you need to take that step, I want you to pray this prayer. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't earn your love. But through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, through his resurrection, I can receive the gift of salvation. And I want that today. Thank you for saving me from my sin, for loving me unconditionally. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, still with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you to take another step. As we stand in just a little bit to sing, I want to encourage you to take the step of moving out to the foyer. I'd love to talk with you, to hear from you that you've taken that step. I want to encourage you to do that. Believer, as we sing here in just a moment, remind yourself that God loves you unconditionally. That God's love for you is not based on your circumstances. And that his love for you will never end. And as a result, worship him. Worship him as we sing right now. But worship him with your life this next week. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for those who prayed that prayer. Thank you for the believers who are here, who have experienced your unconditional love. May we worship you with our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us? Our altar's open up front. If you want to come and spend some time in prayer, you can do that. If you need to take the step of meeting me in the foyer, I want to encourage you to do that as well.